Hey, welcome to another episode of the Welcome to the Table podcast. Really excited for this episode. If you're new to the show, this really is a show about being faithful followers of Jesus in this cultural moment. We explore things like church history and spiritual disciplines and to really have the conversations that will help us be more faithful followers of Jesus in this cultural moment. And my name is Khalil. My name is Sean. And we are your hosts. And we would love to have you rate and review this podcast if it's if it's beneficial to you. If not, please don't rate or review it because yeah. we're really trying to just we, get the the five stars. We don't ones. want your opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sorry. not true. Just joking. Sorry, we might delete that. We but we'll, <laughs> we we uh, we we love that you're listening to the show right now, so and beautiful. it means so much to us that so many people have shared the show. The number of stories we've heard of people saying, "Man, there was an episode that was so meaningful to us, or so meaningful to me that I shared it with a friend, and now they are a faithful listener." And we just want to say thank you so much that you would choose to listen to this podcast and trust us to be a part of your faith journey. Yeah, and we have a really special guest with us on this episode, um, AJ Swoboda. I uh, We were just talking off air, and we met within like a, uh, like a lecture. So very different uh, meeting place, but um, so was inspired uh, by... Uh, you AJ and so so inspired by just kind of your writings and um, even just your more than anything a love for Jesus that is evident and mm. um, it's evident not only within your lectures and your in your in your teachings but also within your writing and um, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe maybe a fun fact for our listeners uh, to enjoy too. Who is mm. AJ? Who is Swoboda? AJ Swoboda? If you could capture oh, man. that. Wow. Well, first of all, it's an absolute honor to talk to the two of you. And I, Sean, um, I loved you in Breaking Bad. You were awesome. Uh, <laughs> you look just like the guy from Breaking Bad. Dang. I don't know if that is awesome. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're a little cleaner than that guy. No, you guys are awesome. Bad. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Fun fact. Um, I auditioned for when I was 11 the lead in free Willy. No. And I made it to at least a screening. I made it to a video screening. It's amazing. No way. And this is, this is normally when the mean person was like, what were you trying out for the whale? No, <laughs> no, I was the boy. And honestly, I would have done so much better than him. <laughs> so much better. That's a fun fact. Uh, I didn't make it, but, but I, you know, many counseling appointments later, I've made it or made it through that. I'm okay. Well, didn't they do the auditioning for that in Oregon? They did. That's they did it, in okay. fact, in Portland, Oregon. Yes. Wow. And it was a really special. Uh, it was a really special opportunity for me. It was my one chance at stardom. At the time, Macaulay Culkin was all the rage. And really, I just wanted to be Macaulay Culkin because I wanted attention. And uh, I didn't, I didn't, uh, of course, I didn't have the ability to figure that out at the time, but um, yeah, so I could have been, I could have been in Free Willy. Wow. That yeah. is, I feel like. I don't really know if there's anything else to talk about today. I, you, I mean, that's like the most important. Yeah, we're done. Game we're over. Done. Well, you do have a um, Ron Swoboda. <laughs> Ron Swoboda, who played for the Mets. Um, I'm told he's like my second or third uncle. No way. So that's cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I I'm, re that. I'm related to uh, Eli Whitney, the guy who did the cotton gin. Amazing. Oh. Guys, this is the this is the free this, stuff. I don't charge for this. This is, the, this is all. We should have just done the fun facts podcast. Why? Yeah. Today. 
Because Fun facts awesome. podcast with AJ Swoboda. I don't even know why special we're guest. Talk. I'm a special guest. You are. And I don't even know where we're going to talk about your book. And I mean, I don't even know yeah, why. Well, we need I was to. just going to say. Are you going to shift it, into that? I was trying. <laughs> AJ, where are you at? What are you doing currently? As well, give our listeners a picture. Yeah. Of that. Well, I'm sitting. I'm sitting in my office uh, with a, a green screen of books <laughs> in my back behind me. I'm sitting in my office. Uh, I am. Yeah, so I, I am a Bible theology professor at Bushnell oh. University in Eugene, Oregon, where I uh, have the uh, distinct pleasure of teaching undergraduate students the Bible and theology. I, as well, uh, run a Doctor of Ministry program at Fuller Seminary on the Holy Spirit and Leadership. And I write some stuff, and I talk about things. And for 10 years, I was a church planter in Portland, where my wife and I and a team of people started a local congregation called Theophilus that's continuing to this day. And um, yeah, I love my wife, my son, uh, and I have uh, a foster daughter and we live on an urban farm in Eugene with 12 emotionally unstable chickens. That's my life. (laughs) That is fantastic. That is awesome. That's just a, yeah, Bushnell just got changed. That name just got changed. Yeah, we were driving. I was driving with my son to, uh, um, to, to this, to the campus a couple, uh, about a year ago. And uh, the university's changed its names a couple times. And uh, my, my son, we're, we're driving up and he said, so dad, do they just change the name of the school every year now? And it, Cause it kind of feels like that. We've changed the name quite a few times, but now it's Bushnell. It's not changing. It's Bushnell. It's Bushnell. It's that's, that's great. Done. Well, you have, I'm, I appreciate uh, your humility. You have written some really great works and I really enjoyed, I, I almost am finished with, I would say this is your latest book, right? After, after doubt. Yes. It's your latest. Uh, Yeah. I think, I think this is the last thing I've written. Yes. Yeah. And it's been, um, very challenging, very encouraging. Um, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit of what inspired, uh, this writing? Absolutely. Well, this is a, um, of all the books I've written, this is my, um, this is my 10th book that I I've, I've written completed and finished. Um, a couple of those are really academic books, but this, I would say of all the books I've written, this uh, particular project uh, is birthed out of some very personal places for me. Um, so essentially, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the sort of um, quick and dirty on this is that I, uh, for 20 years was a pastor uh, for 10 years was a college pastor. And for 10 years was a, um, was a church planter in Portland and just watched, uh, watched what happens when people uh, who love Jesus uh, start asking questions about their faith and what, what in the world do you do with questions and doubts? And um, there's a whole word associated with this. We call it deconstruction. You do with all that. And I've had the opportunity for 20 years to sit in the front row and watch as um, people walk through that experience. And more often than not, uh, sadly, um, we don't have the skill set to do so. And so really what's what I've observed in my limited um, sort of my limited perspective on Twitter and and whatnot is that basically we're at a point now where kind of the conservative Christian is told that asking questions is totally bad and evil. And then the progressive Christian tells us that we have to doubt our faith in order to truly have it. So one demonizes doubt, one uh, valorizes doubt, and I'm convinced, and this is why I wrote the book, mm. that those those two extremes are 
not the way of Jesus. And that um, there is a middle way, the way of Jesus, that is totally different than those two extremes. And I'm trying my best to help people um, question their faith without losing Because more often than not, people that do question their faith, uh, it happens quite regularly, often do lose it. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to help people ask good questions and not chuck Jesus and the Bible. And it's a really special, of all the books I've written, this is the most personal. I've never cried more about a book. There's more tears in this book than anything I've ever written. Mm. Now that's, I mean, for my PhD, I cried just because I wanted to get done. But this one, actually, I cried because I, I really, um, these are real stories and real people. And um, so yeah. that, that's the quick and the quick and dirty. I love that too about, you know, the, the subheading is after doubt, how to question your faith without losing it. And yep. um, I love that you use the term questioning even just to let us know that we can question. Because I think something, you know, in the student ministry space, I realize whether it's middle schoolers, high schoolers, or young adults, you know, people start to have questions. They start to question if maybe the faith they've inherited from their parents is going to be their own, if they truly believe Absolutely. what they believe. And uh, that, that whole process you know, I've seen a lot of people, uh, yeah, their questions either move them away from their faith or they just get really scared from the idea that they even have questions. If I, if I'm a Christian, why am I questioning God? Why am I questioning my faith? Am I a Christian even? I see a lot of people wrestle with that. So, um, there's a, um, there's a really excellent, um, I, I, I recommend this book quite regularly. I should start getting Amazon uh, gift cards for the amount of times I've, I've recommended this book, but there's a, uh, a scholar at London school of theology named Conrad Gumpf, who's actually a colleague of mine. I do, I've done some teaching for London school of theology, he wrote a book called Jesus asked, and it's about all the questions in the new Testament. That's and awesome. it turns out, uh, there are, uh, 307 times in the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 307 times Jesus asks people a question. And uh, a lot of those are repeat questions, but he asks 307 questions. And on the flip side, uh, Jesus is asked 183 questions. Yet when you look at the questions Jesus is asked, of all the 183 he's asked, he only answers three of them. Hmm. And I think one of the reasons why that's the case is not that Jesus is disinterested or apathetic. Uh, Often our questions are not good questions. Hmm. And it's really hard to get a good answer for a bad question. And so Jesus, um, we, we've got a lot of good questions, but I think this book is really actually about less about getting answers and more about beginning to ask the right questions. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, everybody's got questions. That's not the question. That's not such a thing. But are we asking questions for the right reasons, for the right uh, uh, rationale? So it's, it is a book about questions. How do you ask questions uh, in the right way, in the spirit of Jesus? Yeah. And right out the gate, this line just hit me right between the eyes when uh, you said, and, and I'm not sure exactly what page it's either in chapter one or chapter two, you said the goal, of course, isn't to run away from deconstruction nor to run toward it. The goal is Jesus Christ and nothing less. It is Christ's kingdom, God's rule and reign in all things. Um, and you go on and you continue on and it's really, it's really good. But um, I, I think I love that you place the premise of the book on Jesus, on Jesus. It's, it's really the wrestling match. And do I really want to know him? And do I really want to, uh, to, uh, dive into relationship with him? 
And, yeah. or, or do I just simply want to, uh, throw stones and, and like appease my own presuppositions or, or justify my own, um, whatever, whatever it might be yep. walking away or, or being overly judgmental or whatever it may be, or do yep. I just really want to know Jesus? And I just love that yep. you set the tone right away with that in the book. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful that you've resonated with that. Yeah. That's one of the core, um, I would say themes in the book, uh, is this image that we are, are sort of being torn asunder between these two weird ideologies. One that says run away from questions and one that says you have to question, and, you know, I, there's an image uh, from the early church that I find really life-giving. Uh, there's a guy named Athanasius, St. Athanasius in the early church, who um, points out in one of his commentaries on uh, John's gospel. On one, I, it's one of his commentaries on the gospels, where he says that Jesus, when he's crucified, hanging on the cross uh, for the sins and inequity of the whole world, that uh, he is inevitably crucified between two criminals. And that, you know, on one side you have, you know, a, a criminal who actually is quite repentant and one that hurls insults at him. Um, but there in the middle is Jesus. It feels like that moment in history. Mm. It feels like uh, we are torn between these sort of two criminal ideologies on both sides. And then there's Jesus right in the middle. And I think the goal here is not to the right or the left. It's, it's deeper into Jesus. Um, and if, if we don't capture that, um, we're going to be colonized uh, by ideology and ideology doesn't save souls. Ideology doesn't save us from hell. Uh, only Jesus uh, and his, and his cross and the resurrection have the power to do that. So ideology is not, um, we're all obsessed with ideology right now. It's funny. Pastors are telling me right now, I saw this tweet. Uh, it was pastor appreciation month last month. And I saw this guy tweet. If you want to show your pastor, you appreciate him. Uh, take a month and don't listen to Fox News and CNN. And what they were saying was like the greatest way that we could follow Jesus is to part ways from these weird ideologies that we're obsessed with and and actually return to Jesus. And that's that's a hard thing to do in a world. Ideology is a lot safer than Jesus is. Oh, that's good. It, yes. AJ, you divide the book into two parts, kind of the first yeah. is deconstruction and doubt, and then you talk about following Jesus through deconstruction and doubt. Yeah. But we've thrown out that term deconstruction a couple of times now already. Uh, so yeah. could you help us understand what deconstruction yeah. is? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. That's a great question. Well, yeah, truthfully, uh, that's obviously anybody that reads the book or does um, just a – uh, an inch worth of research would find out that that's not my term. That, that's a pretty, um, it's actually a philosophical term that's derived from um, a, a kind of French postmodern tradition it comes from a guy named Foucault. He, he was obsessed with this idea of deconstruction, but deconstruction is not just about uh, philosophy. You know, deconstruction is also about architecture. It's, you know, undoing something that's been, been built. Um, if you've never had a deconstructed cookie pie, then you, you, you know, I mean, uh, you can deconstruct a, a cookie and make a pie out of it. Mm -hmm. um, deconstruction really is just this. It is the dismantling of something. It's the pulling it apart. And that and for a lot of Christians, that's a kind of scary concept because um, we assume that if somebody is deconstructing, that it's bad deconstruction. When in reality, actually, there's very good forms of deconstruction. Um, and you hear deconstruction, for example, in Jesus. I mean, Jesus uh, is confronting the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, he's confronting bad theologies, confronting bad interpretation of the Old Testament. 
Martin Luther, for heaven's sake, who started the Protestant Reformation, deconstructed uh, the ecclesiology, the church of his time. Um, some deconstruction is actually very, very healthy and good. Uh, some of it is demonic. And what we've got to discern is the difference between healthy and unwise deconstruction. Um, when I'm sitting in my office here and I have office hours with my students and they're asking questions about uh, faith and Christianity and how to make sense of the Bible, so on and so forth. More important than them getting an answer to their question is me discerning why they're deconstructing. Because if somebody is deconstructing their faith because they love Jesus and really they were given some bad theology growing up and they need to undo some of those ideas that are not pointed towards Jesus, that's good deconstruction. The good deconstruction, undoing bad ideas, that's called repentance. I mean, that's that's not that's not a bad thing. That's a beautiful thing. But unfortunately, for a lot of the students that sit in my office, they're not deconstructing because they want to follow Jesus. They're deconstructing books. Really, uh, they want to sleep with who they want to sleep with and smoke what they want to smoke. And at the end of the day, discerning the difference between why one is deconstructing is, is very critical. Are you doing this because you want to follow Jesus? Or are you doing this because you're tired of having a God that tells you how to live your life? Mm. Um, so there is good deconstruction. There's also very dangerous deconstruction. Mm. That's so good. I just yeah. want our listeners to kind of sit with that. Yeah. That was very, very important. I don't want to go past it too quickly, but. No, what I think is interesting there is you talk about good deconstruction and bad. So, you know what? Immediately or wise and unwise. Yeah. I've been critiqued a little bit on the good and the bad. I think wise and unwise might be a better way to describe it. Well, and what it made me think of is there can be deconstruction for greater appreciation or to seek to be more faithful, right? That's where... Yeah. Uh, unpacking maybe maybe we've learned some theology that isn't accurate and true disciples of Jesus are going to want to follow Jesus truly and so maybe there's some deconstruction of what they've learned for that but then yes. there's also yeah. the the doubting and the questioning which is moving away and so just an image that came to my mind because you talked about you can deconstruct anything maybe some people have watched like the food network or stuff deconstructed yeah. dishes are really popular right now and all that is is simply taking the ingredients that are normally combined and kind of separating them out on the plate uh, so that it can be appreciated. And so in that, like in a food context, there's actually with deconstruction, you have the ability to appreciate the different elements uh, yeah. well and truly. And so there's an example. I, I, I obviously think about food a lot, right? But an example of deconstruction that can be positive. But anyways, that image came to my mind. So I thought it might be worth bringing. To yeah, the there, there's a, I remember a number of years ago, my wife and I, um, there was a season of time where my wife and I were really struggling in our marriage. Uh, it was a very hard season of time. It was right after we transitioned out of Portland and our entire sense of identity had just been shredded. We didn't know who we were, what we were going to do, that sort of thing. And we, we really were struggling to understand and relate to each other. And we started seeing a counselor and we would go into that counseling appointment and we would just go at it. I mean, it was really hard. It was very painful. But the reason it was so painful, we were getting into the hard stuff because we loved each other. We were getting into it because we desperately loved each other. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have gone through uh, counseling and, and they've it, it's been really hard, but they're doing it not because they love each other, but because they're actually trying to get away from each other. I think the question is, what are we trying to do? You know, are we are we trying to get closer to Jesus right. or are we really just wanting to be done with Jesus? Yeah. And the hope would be um, for a disciple, a lifelong disciple, um, that you're willing to enter into the hard stuff with God. You know, uh, when you do pre-marriage counseling with people, um, I'll, I'll tell you the number one sign, I've learned this years and years in premarital counseling, the number one sign that the couple that I'm sitting in front of when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with 
number one sign that they shouldn't get married is this, is if when I ask them, when was the last time you got into an argument, they say, we've never gotten into an argument. If you say that, don't get married because you're not actually relating to each other. You're not actually in each other's life. A true relationship will go through seasons of difficulty. If you truly are relating to each other, you will go through hard times. I mean, the psalmist says, Psalm 23, he does not say, I walk around the valley of the shadow of death. Right, I right. walk through it. You, you, and there's a level at which a disciple, we don't, you, don't, you don't get to take a helicopter over the valley. You have to go through it. Um, <laughs> and you do it because you love God with all your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was even just thinking about like some of the things that I believed to be true when I was younger and yeah. having even those many <clears throat> moments of deconstruction, I, I'm glad for two things. I'm glad that I questioned and challenged those things. And the second thing is, is I'm glad that I was in it for the long haul. You kind of uh, touch on it just a little bit here, but in your book, you talk, talk a lot about, uh, talk about it a lot more. And even this idea that we've lost the art of reading and study and mm. the things that we've wrestled with, uh, in the past, especially with our cloud of witness in our church history and our, and our yeah. fathers and mothers, they would spend their entire life studying and wrestling yeah. and deconstructing and reconstructing things. Whereas we can look at a couple of TikTok videos and then a, and hear a podcast yeah. about somebody who's famous, who's leaving the faith and say, I'm done too. And so yeah. I know it, I know it, it obviously goes back to the why, and we've talked about that, but, um, I don't know if you could maybe speak to that a little bit more in terms of, and maybe even practically just, uh, the, the fast pace, the lack of yeah. slow within, even as followers of Jesus, yeah. um, the social media piece to it as well. And then how can we, how can we navigate this and just slow down? What does it look like to really like, as Jacob wrestled with the, my opinion, the theophany of Jesus, that, that wrestling with our faith, how can we just slow it down and do that? What are maybe some practical tips you might have, uh, as we are doubting and deconstructing and thinking through yeah. in the wise way? Yes. Yes. So your, your whole conversation, Sean, about, um, my friend Nijay Gupta and I, uh, are, we are, we are talking, we have a podcast that we do called in faith and doubt. One of the, our favorite topics, is the topic of slow theology. Mm -hmm. um, I usually, when I do it quickly, I make bad theolo theological decisions. Um, I, I think it was this last week or two weeks ago, uh, some stuff was put out about 40% of pastors right now are considering quitting ministry and are considering um, being done with full-time ministry, something like 40 or 50%. I mean, it's super high. And it's probably even higher than that. I, I may be misrepresenting the numbers there, but it's very high. And I, I know exactly why that is. I mean, I, I living in Portland and pastoring a church, I remember every single time there was some major uh, national tragedy or some sort of shooting or some sort of national thing on Twitter, you know, people, everybody would say, if you go to a church that doesn't dot, 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 then don't go to it anymore. And what that does is it puts this like pressure to have to like immediately respond, react to whatever's going on. And that kind of environment just creates a, an environment where we are not invited to ponder and slow and reflect on the voice of Jesus. Mm. And th it's very dangerous because whenever we do, in my experience, at least when I make quick theological decisions, I make dumb theological decisions. Mm, um, we have 2000 years of church history 
to say nothing of thousands of years of history of, of our Jewish uh, foremothers and forefathers. And when I begin to change what the church has taught for 2000 years, because I saw some TikTok video, there's a big problem. And um, when I think I know better because I, I read a little blog on sexuality and I think I can change what the Bible teaches on the subject, um, I'm, I'm getting into some pretty dangerous territory. There is no new question under the sun. There is no question that we are asking now that Christians and our, and our use, it said the cloud of witnesses has not been wrestling with for thousands of years for heaven's sake. Mm-hmm. Who am I to say the Bible, the church has been wrong for 2000 years on some really important topic because I saw some interesting blog. Mm-hmm. Who, who am I? Um, you know, who, you know, who I'm going to listen to about the way of Jesus. I'm going to listen to people like John and Peter and people like James and Jude who knew Jesus and eventually all got killed because they love Jesus. Um, I'm all about listening and learning and spending my time listening podcasts. Lord knows I listen to way too many of them, but when it comes down to it, when it comes to Jesus, the authority is on the people who gave their life to follow Jesus, not on some cool hip podcaster who has some interesting thoughts on what the gospels may or may not say. Mm. Here's my point. Slow down because Christians have really good stuff to say over 2000 years. And we should listen to our fathers and our mothers and not just assume because we read a blog article, we somehow know more than, than the witnesses of the church. These people died to hand us the gospel. The least we could do is give them, give them a, give them a couple decades, hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. I had this experience a couple of years ago. This, this was one of the hardest, this was one of the hardest things I was pastoring and a person in my church uh, so on sexuality, I'm, I'm not, on, on the sexuality conversation, I'm super committed to the historic Christian ethic on the, on, on this topic. And, but basically that's my way of saying, like, I think the Bible is right about sexuality and our culture is absolutely wrong. Um, and yeah, I, I remember years ago, there was a person in our church who started to rethink kind of their thoughts on sexuality and they were leaning kind of the more progressive route. And they told me, I'm going to, I'm going to go away for a year. And I'm just going to read a bunch of books. I'm going to make a decision about what I think. And I was so angry about that. And I was angry because really what that person was saying was, I'm going to think about God and I'm going to cut out the community around me to make that decision. And I was really angry about that because I think we're living in this weird place where we are like replacing the church with podcasts. We're replacing the body and blood of Christ, the flesh and blood, the people on the ground, our mothers and our fathers, our pastors, our people in our small group, the people who have invested in us for years. We are replacing them with TikTok videos. Mm-hmm. And I just, it breaks my heart and it angers me because at the end of the day for that guy that was making that decision, I'm the one who's going to show up when he's in the hospital and, and, and needs help, not his favorite podcaster. So I, here's, um, wow, you hit on a kind of sensitive place for me today. It was purposeful. Something <laughs> something nasty starts happening when we start replacing an actual community on the ground with digital spaces that just tell us everything we want to hear. Mm, yeah. Something funky happens. And it's almost like Paul should have written about this. Oh, wait, he did. <laughs> that we'll live in a time where we will surround ourselves with things that itch our ears. And we're there. I mean, <laughs> I can find somebody on, I could Google and find somebody to say anything I want him to say right now. It's terrifying. Yeah. I can find a guy with a PhD who will say anything that I want to believe. It's terrifying. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrifying. How do you follow Jesus in this world? It requires radical, every day, daily, radical, dying to self and following of Jesus to the cross every day. And it means that Jesus is right and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> That's what it means. So my point is, friends, become a Christian because in a world with all the voices, I'm telling you, Jesus is really the only one you can trust. That's good. I would I would even maybe add a question on top of that. Do you feel like it has we have to be even more radical because of our hyper individualistic society and culture? Yeah. 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 When I have a when I have a this is a very common experience. I just taught a class. It's really interesting. I taught a class on hell. I don't know if I don't know anybody who's ever taught a whole class on hell. I taught a whole class on hell. It was wild. It was wild. <laughs> I have never, I've never, it was, it was wild. Okay. It, it is, it is not uncommon for me to hear somebody say something like this. Um, I would love to love God, but I could never believe in a God who, and then fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. I could never believe in a God who, you know, created hell. I could never believe in a God that thinks that way about sexuality. I could never think about, I could never worship a God that, 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 that. And what we're really saying when we're saying that, what we're really saying is we're saying that we are kinder and more gentler than Jesus is. That's really what we're saying. And we're saying, I will believe in God so long as God is everything I want him to be. That is the sickest baloney ever. Could you imagine having a friend that was like that? They were like, I will love you only as long as you dot, dot, dot. If somebody said that to you, we would call that abuse, emotional abuse. If you really love me, you would dot, 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 dot. To say to God, I will love you only if you think the way I think, <laughs> that, is, that is so gross. That is so gross. And who am I as a white American in the 21st century to say that God must think what I think because I'm a white American? How evil is that? I mean, with all due respect to my friends who are our, our progressive white people are saying God has to think this way about sexuality or whatnot. Who are you to say that the God of the universe has to reflect your 21st century white values? What a weird world we live in <laughs> where we are trying to make God in our, in, 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 in our image. Yeah. Yeah. No, we love God because of who God is, not because of who we want him to be. Yeah. God is worthy of our worship because God is God. Not because he thinks what we think. He doesn't think what we think. He's not following us. We're called to follow him. Right. Yeah. It, right. it says so individualism is killing us. Mm-hmm. We're not, we've got to follow Jesus together. We've right. got to follow Jesus together. Right. That's good. We've got to follow Jesus together. Communal. And it says something. C.S. Lewis, can I say one more time? Sorry. <laughs> this no, is good stuff, you guys. I love this. this is is and I'm, wearing my, I'm wearing my favorite you, orange sweater for you, this it, it, is, it is beaming. Is it hidden? Is it? No, is no. it popping? Oh, it's popping. Is it popping? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Popping okay. and locking. C.S. Lewis, he, he has this great little section where he says that the, the sin of the Western person is that we think that because we exist right now, we are the most evolved and right in human history. Mm. And he said he, he has a word for it. I love this. He calls it chronological snobbery. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the arrogance that we think because we're now we're right. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> The Christian gospel says that is absolute hot garbage. We are not right because we're now. 
in the same way that slave owners weren't right because they were now in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Jesus is right. And the and we are called to leave everything behind to do what he says. Yeah. Jesus has got to save us from our individualism. Mm-hmm. We're, we're toast without it. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I had a thought, but I, I lost it because, no, that was, that was, it's a lot to, to think about and ponder. I think, um, you know, it says something about our, our pride or, I mean, you hit on it with the chronological snobbery, but in any moment to think that we are so important that we get to shape who God can yeah. be. Yep. And, you know, there's a term that I've been thinking about lately just called, it, that's uh, called, it says appropriate smallness. So thinking of ourselves appropriately small. And when we realize mm. who God is, you know, yeah. it's not thinking less of ourselves or, or yeah. too little of ourselves or being insecure, but recognizing how appropriately small we are in the face of God. And yeah, um, yeah there's, right. there's just that, I mean, if I, if I, we worship Jesus, if you, like you said, then, then Jesus's words are right. God, Absolutely. God is infinitely wise. He, he is, navigated every culture, uh, every moment in time. He's existed since before the foundations of the earth, and he's going to be here long after everything changes. 100%. And and walking in the wisdom of God. But I love what you talk about too, and even just referring to the, the great cloud of witness and the thousands of years of church history and then Jewish history that's come before us, there's been a lot of people from every generation and every nationality and, and continent critically thinking through these issues. And we have those voices of mentors and ancestors and those who have come before us that we need to allow to shape our thinking. As you were talking earlier though, there was something that I just wanted to ask because I think it's a challenge that we all face. I see people share the Instagram post or the, the, the tweet or whatever. And it's really easy to see something And every social media post is basically trying to be its own mic drop moment. And it may sound profound or powerful or it hits on what we think. And so we, we hit share really quickly, maybe too quickly. And so my question yeah. would just be for maybe someone who's a new believer or is just wanting to grow in this, like how, how do you begin to become more of a disciple of Jesus on cultural issues than a disciple of the culture that you've been walking in? Because we're so shaped by the voices around us that sometimes we don't even notice when that's happening. Yeah. And I see that Man, a lot I, of young adults. So, so brother, brother, I'm just over here raising the roof on the such good stuff right here. Such good stuff. Raising the roof. <clears throat> and to your point, by the way, you're absolutely right. This is not about thinking poorly of ourselves. Humility, and, and to borrow C.S. Lewis again, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. It's, it's not about having a low view of yourself. It's actually about being lost and not having to be focused on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, man, I, I have just observed that something is lost when we are no longer on the ground in a room with a bunch of people worshiping God together. Mm, and I, here, here's where, here's where it goes. When COVID hit, um, you know, right, whatever year and a half ago or whatever it was when COVID hit my, uh, I have a family member who's in AA, in AA and she was describing to me that uh, AA Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, how do you, you know, how do you continue to have meetings when you got AA? Everything's about being together. And she said that in AA, they, they, they tried to do Zoom meetings, 
And she said, it didn't work at all. And the reason it doesn't work is that there's one thing missing in a Zoom call. Um, there's no smell. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you can tell if somebody's drunk or not. Mm-hmm. Like you smell them. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's my new thing. I'm, uh, this is hot. Okay. This is a hot take. You ready? <laughs> um, church should smell. Mm-hmm. There need to be smells. And if we're not in a room together, there's no smells. There's a reason uh, the aroma of Christ is a, is a metaphor for Paul, important one. Mm-hmm. Smell matters. Yeah. And the minute you separate your love from God from a room where there's smells, something's lost. Mm-hmm. Smell, it's all about smell. If there's no smell, it ain't church. That's good. That, and so if something happens. I don't know what it is. And I, I, listen, there are people listening to this who have experienced church trauma and hurt. And I am not in any way, shape, or form your counselor. I'm not a spiritual director. Uh, I'm not your pastor. I'm not trying to replace those people. And you need to listen to those people who know you really well. But I'm just observing that when we cut ourselves off from the body of Christ, it doesn't lead to good things. We need the smell. Well, and you. The church church smells. Somebody's got to write that book. Church smell. <laughs> I know a guy. You, will you forward it if I write it? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> well, even if in that, even in that term, when you cut yourself off, well, cutting is cutting your like a limb off or cutting your finger. When you cut yourself, it's not. That's not good. Or yeah. as John, we're 15. called to have a circumcised yeah. heart, but not a circumcised church experience. Meaning, we're not supposed to cut the church off. That's yeah. exactly and right. Jesus already talked about that. John fifteen, and you know, we when you get pruned, you're detached. Yeah. You're dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know we could talk about so much. Oh, I mean, there is so it's much here. By. We've barely scratched the surface <laughs> of this conversation Jeez. and the book, but we do really want to recommend uh, the book after doubt, yeah. how to question, how to question your faith without losing it. Mm. Um, and it'll be in the show notes for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on uh welcome to the table podcast with us. Thanks for having me. You guys are awesome, man. It's been a joy, man. And I really, we really, really appreciate it. Maybe we'll have to bring you back on at some point in the future too. So I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I even want to say, I know you got to go, but is there any last word you'd like to share? I'm 40 years old. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've deconstructed a lot. I've pulled a lot of things apart. I've done seminary. I've got a lot of higher degrees. And I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart. Jesus really is our only hope. Mm. And I want to die saying that because there is nothing without Jesus. Mm. Cool. Good. Well, AJ, thank you so much. And you guys are awesome. Yeah, Thanks for having me. We appreciate this so much for our <laughs> listeners. Uh, we just want to say uh, we're so glad that you listened. If you are wrestling with your faith, if you are asking questions, do not do that alone. That's what the podcast is all about. Get people around your table. Do it in community and allow others to be a part of shaping your processing and your thinking. And that's what the table is all about. Identity formation, life, faith happens around the table. So invite someone to your table, share this episode with someone, rate and review. And, uh, Keep keep fighting the good fight. Keep believing. Keep having faith. <laughs>